Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. You know those people who've been standing outside supermarkets this time of year? The ones trying to get you to sign a piece of paper? That paper is called a petition, and it's part of an application process to get on the ballot. In Chicago, candidates running for elected office need these petitions and a certain number of signatures to get on the February ballot. Up until a couple months ago, Kelly Cousins signed every one of these petitions that came her way because she figured the more the merrier. Yeah, I'll sign your petition to get you on the ballot. Like, I'm doing my civic duty by allowing people to hear your voice and let you vote. But then she found out that she'd been making a really big mistake. Because according to the law, a registered voter can only sign the petition for one candidate for treasurer, clerk, mayor, or alderman. And so when I found out from uh, one of the alderman candidates in our ward that they had to be unique signatures, uh, it blew my mind. Like, why would anybody do that? Kelly did more research and realized the petition process is super confusing. So she asked Curious City, how does this process work and who does it benefit or harm? I'm reporter Annie Nguyen, and I've been on this for months, and here's what I learned. First, candidates need to collect a lot of signatures. To give you an idea of just how many signatures, in Chicago, a mayoral candidate needs to get 12,500 signatures. That's compared to just 500 signatures in Los Angeles. But critics say the next part gets real crazy. Candidates challenge the validity of each other's signatures. You better come prepared for a real fight. This is a blood sport in Chicago. You have to be prepared for that. This is not for the faint-hearted. That's UIC professor and former alderman Dick Simpson. Simpson says candidates generally collect three to four times the required number of signatures to try to survive. He says the process is a relic of the old political machine. The Chicago election system is set up to keep in power the people who are in power, the incumbents. And for the last 150 years, it has been mostly the people who come from the Chicago Democratic machine. Meaning the establishment which had traditionally had the money and manpower to survive this process. Now, to answer Kelly's question, who the process helps and hurts, I'll focus on the 28th Ward on Chicago's west side, where I've been doing a lot of reporting. Tammy Vinson tried to get onto the ballot for Alderman in 2015. She found that whole challenge process frustrating. So my thought initially was that the challenge would be catching folks that did something wrong. But you're trying to just wipe folks off the ballot. That race was wild in the 28th Ward. Eight people turned in petitions, but only one made it onto the ballot. The guy who's currently the alderman, Jason Irvin. It was like mind-boggling because, again, my son's name was challenged. My son, who lives at the same address that I live, within the 28th Ward, was challenged. So at this point, I'm thinking, well, you know, what the heck? It, it, I was, it was my, I was flabbergasted. These kinds of petty challenges are common. 
Simpson says these tactics are meant to drain candidate resources and hold them up in court for weeks when they would rather be campaigning. Vincent said the whole process was demoralizing. You know, the thing was, when you have uh, the, your family that's fully supportive and they're going around helping you uh, collect the signatures, meeting and greeting with folks, and to not make it, I think the disappointment for me is about the same for my family. The process also hurts candidates without a lot of money. Remember, candidates generally collect more signatures than they technically need. To do that, they have to use volunteers or pay people to collect signatures. And if a candidate's petition is challenged, they often need to hire a lawyer to defend them. Challenges can cost tens of thousands of dollars. And that's all in addition to candidates needing to hire campaign staff and to start getting their message to voters. Experts tell me Chicago is one of only a handful of cities where this kind of ballot bumping happens. And some folks in Chicago point out that candidates who might have public support may simply not have the fundraising ability to last through the challenge process, like with Marcel Jackson. Jackson ran in the same 28th ward race as Vincent, but the signatures he collected were challenged. Day in and day out, Jackson went to the basement of the Board of Elections to argue over signatures. He said it was like going to a doctor's office, and the payments to the election lawyer got expensive. My attorney turned to me and he said, we can keep fighting. It won't be a cheap fight. He said, they can hold you and fight you up until the day of election, and you still might not make the ballot. Is this something you're up for? And I said, well, let me think about it. I, I went home. And I I prayed on it, and I thought about it, and I said, you know what? I can't afford to fight. Jackson dropped out of the race. And Nikita Brar, who advocates for election reform, says money can be a real problem in some wards with less wealth, where the candidates who make it onto the ballot often get fundraising help from the mayor. It means that you are that much more vulnerable to a mayor who wants to control your financial resources. That's how you get a rubber stamping city council. Breyer says the process also perpetuates voter apathy. People are busy balancing taking care of kids and family, so if there's just one choice on the ballot. Why would I turn out to vote? It makes less sense for me, right? In the last three municipal elections, there have been at least seven aldermanic elections with only one person on the ballot. At the same time, some people say the process works, like Alderman Jason Urban. Remember, he was the only candidate left on the ballot in that 28th ward race after Vincent, Jackson, and all other candidates were kept off the ballot. I asked Irvin about that race. You think that it's fair for the 28th ward and for the voters if you're the only person on the ballot? I think that um, it shows that the community is solidly behind Alderman Irvin. Again, Irvin benefited from the process in 2015. It allowed him to run unopposed, but he's not the only defender. Election attorney Bert Olderson gets paid to try to block candidates from the ballot. He says rules are rules. If your petitions don't meet the requirements set forth in the law, then you shouldn't be able to run for office. We weed out the people who are not qualified and don't follow the rules. So the objection process is a good thing. Remember, Kelly, our question asker, she wanted to know who the process benefits. Well, it helps election lawyers, incumbents, and candidates with a lot of money. 
And as you've heard, it can hurt grassroots candidates without the ability to raise funds. But former Alderman Dick Simpson says when you have words with only one candidate on the ballot, ultimately it hurts the voters. As long as we have two or three or five candidates on the ballot in a given ward, that should give the voters enough range of choice. Uh, If all of the other candidates but one are knocked off the ballot, then something went wrong with the process. Support for Curious City comes from the Conant Family Foundation. I'm City Bureau reporter Annie Nguyen. City Bureau is a nonprofit news organization in Chicago. Next time on Curious City? Curious City listener Maureen always pronounced two Chicago streets the way they seemed to be spelled. But her parents, who grew up on the south side, made fun of her. I remember them laughing at me for saying Paulina and Throop instead of Paulina and Troop. So I guess I've always wondered why we pronounce those that way. You might think you know the answer, but did you know it may go back to England during the Renaissance? Seriously. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.